episode number 179 with Clayton Fletcher. Welcome to the Heads Up Poker Podcast. This is Steve Barton. This is Mike Snyderman. And this week we have uh, Clayton Fletcher. Usually he's uh, on before the WSOB, but I'm kind of glad we waited uh, because he just recently got 28th in the main event. Uh, It took home over 200K. So uh, congratulations, Clayton, and I can't wait to talk to him. Ask me if I give a shit, Steve. No, I was, you know, maybe this is more, Steve, you know, I want like my friends to succeed, but not to the point, like I want to be the first person I know to win a bracelet. So normally I'm rooting for people I know who are running deep to get second place. <laughs> I was actually rooting for Clayton to win this thing. Yes, I was too. I, like, this I is, couldn't this believe This is personal that. growth on my part here, Steve. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah, I, uh. I was excited. It was a fun uh, sweat on uh, Twitter, and uh, yeah, it was cool. I he, just was want- getting a, he was getting a lot of love from the TV people, too. Last time he made a run, he wasn't quite deep enough, maybe, for them to try to uh, you know, focus on his personality and his biography. Yeah. Um, because he went top 100 a couple of years ago, Steve. I don't know if you knew that. But, yeah. Uh, but anyways, yeah, this time he got some, he got some love, and we saw him uh, play some hands, so kind of cool. Right on. Right on. Did you were you able to uh, watch the uh, coverage? I've been watching a fair amount of it. Okay. Uh, for sure. You know, I watched last night, and uh, you said Clayton was twitching last night. I thought that was interesting. That there, I didn't realize that they were going to be twitching these other events. So that's kind of cool. I would have actually probably wa- rather watched that than the main. I uh, I watched his. Uh, I got to down to three handed. I watched one uh, K final table. He was doing commentary with another guy, and um, it. Uh, <laughs> Funny, of course, you know, he's a comedian uh, and uh, just informative, too. And I was surprised there was some plays there that uh, I was like, I, I wrote down a couple of the hands that, um, yeah, I felt like uh, I might have been in like a, a $10 uh, ignition tournament. It was uh, impressive. Well, that's what keeps us uh, coming back here. If you watch some of these, you know, final tables in one case when people win in hundreds of thousands, you're like, this guy is not very good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's it's the opposite where you see just some people. Uh, I've seen some people make some laydowns here in the late stages of the main event. I don't think I'm capable of making. So there's you know a certain level it, it shows you where you have to work on your game. But on the other hand, it also shows you that you know you don't have to be an absolute genius yeah. to uh, have some have some fun there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve, I need uh before we uh, get into the main event stuff, I need some life coaching from you. Okay. In all seriousness here, I, might, I was going to ask you about this privately, but why not? Uh, I mean, I could probably do this research on my own. Um, I want to think, maybe try to get into the meditation thing. Oh, okay. Did you, like, do that on your own? Did you fi- go to, a, like, a local – I mean, I, I, in my mind, meditation and yoga are, like, the same thing, but that's – you don't learn meditation at a yoga studio. That's something different, right? Uh Okay, like what? What do you want to do with it? Well, I, I mean, I don't. I don't know. Uh, quickly, I think I, I told you about this. You know, Carlos generously bought me a book last year when I was in the middle of my despair. Uh, the Tommy Angelo book, Painless Poker. Okay. Um, I don't know if we discussed that book, which is kind of um, novel slash uh, I don't know how to book, but okay. but poker, mental health of poker. 
And uh, of course, Carlos came and asked me, uh, "Did you read the book?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, I I actually read to like page 300. It's like 450 pages." I'm yeah. like, "Yeah, of course." He's like, "Well, what'd you think about the ending?" <laughs> You're all damn it. <laughs> He's ambushing me There's there, and I'm like, "Okay, I didn't finish I've it." Read this, and he, <laughs> he picks the like I was going to be 25. Yeah. I haven't read. <laughs> oh yeah, what'd you think of the last hand? You know, he fucking ambushes me there. You know, it's pretty funny. But anyways, uh, quickly the book. It's like the fir- it's uh, the it starts off with. Um, Tommy Angelo talking about his 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 life. I assume it's not really fictionalized where he used to play but this horrible hand he, he lost on a riverboat where, you know, straight flush for straight flush. And he was too dumb to give up his whole bankroll, blah, 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 how he got into mental coaching. And then the uh, the conceit or whatever is that he's a poker coach uh, specifically for the mental game um, more generously, but uh, more generally. But all these poker players with their different problems are sort of beamed into his house. OK. And he's there to coach them, and huh. they don't know. So the, the the then we get into these characters and their problem, and they're all kind of different. You got the amateur player who wants to play more poker, um, who's humiliated, often feels mocked by the pros. Da da da. We got the this old uh, older lady who uh, she had to burn through her bankroll for for helping care for helping take care of uh, people in her life. And she's very frustrated with the state of poker. Then you got an online guy who gets drunk and gambles and gives away his bankroll. Then you got this arrogant attorney guy. It's pretty funny. He thinks he's bet- he's too good for everybody there because he wants one, you know, a lot of money. So we have all the different kind of people and different problems. And then where I kind of stopped reading, uh, the last third of the book seems to really kind of like talk about meditation and like a how-to of meditation. Okay. And I started reading it. Uh, I'm going to want to finish it by the time Carlos comes again because he's coming to visit here. But I read about 30 pages, and it's very – it sounds like it's going to be very – kind of a how-to. First, he's explaining to these people who are very skeptical why meditation is useful and necessary and some of the, some of the misconceptions. And then he, it, then he actually you know, pulls a mat out and explains sitting position. It sounds like it's very much going to be like a how-to okay. um, thing. I don't know how – but I think the last third of the book is – that's going to be a lot to do with it because I know he's very pro-meditation. So taking that. Uh, if I wanted to give this a try, Steve, okay. and become disciplined about it, right. um, which how would you recommend I go about that? Uh, I would recommend that um, – okay, I've been doing the meditation, the hypnosis tapes for probably eight years consistently once a day. Um, so I started off – this actually came from pickup, and uh, I heard about this guy that could hypnosis – thing and you uh you know it makes it easier to talk to to girls and i thought okay i'll try anything (laughs) let me try it right and uh i did it and after listening to it about 10 times what happened was uh anytime i saw an attractive woman or a woman that i was attracted to within about three quarters of a second i would start walking over to her and then at least say something right and my success just instantly skyrocketed because you know just from that so that's when i learned that holy shit this stuff works right you actually you actually flushed all your date rape drugs down the toilet you were so confident i never needed another one again right nice okay (laughs) and uh uh, every now and then I just pull, pull a Bill Cosby just for the fun of it, you know, but it's all for, I don't have to do it. You know? Okay. We can move yeah. on. <laughs> and, uh, anyhow, so that's when I realized this stuff worked. Uh, from there I branched out to, uh, I remember getting a, a series on how to be a millionaire. I flushed each one of those through my brain for probably a year and a half. So I got each one of them 75 times or something. And, uh, and then I 
found uh, Elliot Rowe for poker, and I've just been doing the same thing with him. Just before this podcast, I listened to a 10-minute one on a leak buster, um, you know, folding when you're beat, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like what right. the hell? Okay. Uh, I think that doing it once a day like that routinely, for, for one, your physical body just feels relaxed and calm. And number two, I never try to get a hypnosis tape that I ever think is going to damage me long term. Uh, so everything I'm pumping in there is good. You know, that would be my recommendation is just start doing it at the same time every day. For me, it's a nap after lunch, which is like 10 minutes um, or before I uh, start playing cards, which is usually the same time. Um, but uh, that's what I do for me. You can get some free ones. You just type in um, meditation tapes under the podcast app and you can get um, uh, you can get free ones on there. They've got ones for falling asleep, ones for. Uh, I don't know. Take your pick. <laughs> I'm sure there's a there's an iPhone app that has a lot of free stuff, but they get you. They want you to pay if you get other stuff. You know that how that works. And there's probably a bunch on YouTube, so I'll have to start looking into it. Okay, so you're not necessarily taking a mat out and getting a position. You're just lying down and getting comfortable. I'm lying down, getting comfortable, something. and basically just listening to the tape. And then once it's over, you wake up and and uh, they really remarkably work. I mean, like if you listen to one on being productive. When you wake up from that, at the end of the day, you look back and you're like, holy shit, I didn't do anything all day until after I listened to that thing. And then I got like a whole day's work done in four hours. Right. They just, they just, it just, you're so relaxed that it's basically telling your, your hard drive, the, the thing that's running in the background, that's really telling you what to do. It's basically yeah. reprogramming that and then spitting it out. And then, you know, you get what you, you get to have results. It really works. But it, it's kind of funny in the Tommy Angela book, someone's like, yeah, but I don't want to be a robot. I, you know, I enjoy the emotion. So for me, Steve, you know, being half crazy actually is, can be great fun sometimes. So <laughs> I, I guess this is just temporary relief and perspective here. So yeah, I, I think Tommy Angelo and we had like Ben Reason on who, you know, he actually went to a, uh, a retreat, right? Almost like a Buddhist temple. Yes. Yeah, so that's that's taken it to another level where you're not just trying to meditate to maybe reach a specific goal, but to really do like a deeper philosophical philosophical personal change, you know, um, really change the way you look at the world. I have uh, tried that, like meditating without listening to a tape, and I don't. You basically have to be very like uh, uh, you got to try to have no thoughts in your head, which is. I, uh, almost impossible, but it is nice after that, you know, you do feel like, okay, I'm, I don't have a thousand thoughts a second right now. I can, I can focus on one task. Uh, but I get the same thing by listening to the hypnosis tapes. And I thought, well, why the hell not listen to something instead of just sit there and right. try to not think of anything. <laughs> you know? And you're so, a busy man, Steve too. So every moment counts. Yes. Yeah. Oh, speaking okay. of, uh, I, uh, I uh, separated my uh, clavicle, uh, grade three, it, uh, which is apparently the most severe. I was uh, on my bike, and I thought I was 14 again and could bunny hop up onto the curb. And so I misjudged. <laughs> my front tire made it just fine. Back tire, not so much. And I went uh, ass over tea kettle and just completely ate shit. And uh, I got up, and I'm like, oh, my God, that hurt. And there was a... There was a homeless guy right there, and he's like, 
dude, are you okay? I'm like, oh man, that hurt. And he's like, you ate shit. I'm like, yeah, I'm well aware of that, sir. Thank you. <laughs> oh, it was brutal. So what, uh, what is the, the medical treatment for this? How do you resolve this? Or- sling. Uh, I got my arm in a sling and then I've got, uh, icing it, uh, probably every other hour for half an hour. Um, and then I'm going to physical therapy doing, uh, doing that in the sling, probably two and a half, three weeks and then back, uh, under six weeks, I think. I mean, is there a chance you're going to need surgery that this, all this stuff doesn't really help because it's just, you said dislocated, right? I mean, it basically what happened, you know, where your collarbone attaches onto the top of your shoulder. Yeah. Okay. That's sticking up about an inch and a half from where it should be. So all those little tendons in there, the ropes holding it down ripped and, uh, apparently they're not going to reattach themselves. So what will happen is those will basically kind of flake off and get absorbed into the body because it just looks at them as debris. And in the meantime, we got tape holding it back down more or less where it should be. And new ones will grow in there. And by doing these specific exercises and stretches, it will build up the muscles around it and encourage growth. And the physical therapist said he's seen a hundred of these in 30 years and three have needed surgery and mine, my specific injury, he's seen football players back on the field in four weeks. So, okay. Uh, so hopefully the worst case scenario is you're, you're just, your shoulder's not 100% and occasionally, you know, you swim long distance or something, you get some pain or whatever, but it's not going to be a yeah. permanent problem. Kind no, of thing. no, no. It's more of a pain in the ass than anything else. Aren't you just a positive guy, Steve? <laughs> well, it, it has taught me to play online poker left-handed. Okay. Yeah, there you go. I've been where you been, where you, you been playing? Six, four spades or ACR? Where are you playing? Uh, oh, quick thing about six, four spades. Anyone that was on um, Poker Mania and when we switched over to six, four spades, uh, I got contacted recently um, and uh, uh, I'm trying to remember your name. I think it was Cliff. Um he didn't know that he got switched over to six, four. So he had, he had some money on there and didn't even know that they switched over. He contacted me. We got it. We got it switched over and everything. So, uh, if you were one of those guys, <laughs> let me know. Uh, I don't, I think he was the only one, but I could be wrong just in case, uh, I'll throw it out there. But yeah, I've been playing six, four. I've been playing, uh, ignition. Um, and I haven't really played much ECR. Oh, I know why my hold a manager, uh, HUD, um, for whatever reason, the license key, I got to restart it or something. So rather than spend an hour doing that, I just play on one of the other two sites. Okay. Well, you, what, what have you been playing? Uh, I haven't played, I think I burned off a couple hundred dollars in ACR a week or two ago. Um, I don't know, Steve, why did I bring up online poker? Now I'm just picturing those ignition people laughing at me. <laughs> I did in, a, get, in a in a in a in a disco room, passing around a forty with a picture <laughs> with my, my picture on the wall. With with, I'm still convinced I have to figure out the crypto thing, um, how to sell. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm convinced. I'm convinced, Steve. That's the only way. I I've somehow somebody contacted Coinbase, and I don't even want to get into it. It really is bizarre. I, we talked about this last time, right? My Coinbase, yeah, yeah. Can't, and they're not even responding. I don't even know how I do my taxes. I'm like. Okay, why don't you just not allow me to buy or trade, but I should be able to log into my account to look at my financial records. No, I need this for taxes. And they haven't even responded. I you know, I emailed them once, no response. I called them and they said, well, I'll tell my people and they'll email you. And they didn't. Um, 
anyways, well, hopefully we'll get that straightened out. But, uh, you know, I may want to pull off my Litecoin and my Ether on Coinbase and throw them onto my ledger. Um, well, I, I think the, this, I mean, a lot of people, the, 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 the fees there are just re- absurd. What, what's real, what's real popular now. I don't know. I mean, again, this is dangerous and I'm so paranoid, of course, Steve and cynical, but some of these places, it's not even you, you just make trades with people where you're not getting charged by like Paxful has like a trade board. Like you send me coin, I'll send you bank of America and then you negotiate the price. Okay. So you're doing one-on-one trading with people. Yeah. Um, and you know, like Paxful, which I, which I'm using, has like ratings for each trader. I mean, if they if they're honest, you give them a star. So you have your five star people who've done X number of transactions, that kind of thing. Um. Anyways, I'm gonna I'm gonna probably have to sell pretty soon here because I'm just running out of cash. I've played terrific poker this week, Steve, and I'm down like three hundred bucks. Hmm. What the? What At the, least I've, what I'm playing, playing two. Playing two five at the uh, at the, the casino, and uh, I don't know. I'm like I said, being short rolled. I usually play pretty good poker, and I've gone in there, and I I can't remember making any like horrible decisions. Um, yeah, you know, the other day I built up, uh, like you know, built it up to like a nine hundred dollar uh, up ahead, up ahead, up nine hundred dollars at two five. And then one guy who's just shove happy uh, shoved it with pocket eights. I called with ace king. I mean, he could have had ace queen, I think. So I had to call. I lost that. And then I lost a couple other middle ones. So I left down 150 bucks. So there's been a couple days like that. I'm like, I really liked how I played. But uh, yeah, I don't know, Steve. The other part of the life coaching is you'd have to tell me where I, where I should look for a job here. Well, I got to come up with a whole career plan, but we don't really have enough time for that. <laughs> I'd recommend starting with a Roth IRA. It's fifty five hundred a year. Well, I wasn't talking about investing, Steve. I don't have any money. I'm talking oh. about, I'm talking, about getting, I'm talking about getting a job. Um, my sister's oh, my sister's like forensic accounting because it's like a you get you can get an easy. Uh, it's you probably get hired without having any like specific degree, just showing your class. You know, you're taking classes, and she's like, she knows how I like games. Mm-hmm. She's like, it's like a game. You know, you're following, trying to figure out where the money's at. Um, I don't know. Anyway, Steve, what what can I do? But uh, you know, I, I've done the accounting. I've looked at the, all the numbers and tried to figure it out. And it's just, I we'll have to see. But surviving in poker involves a lot of work on my part. And again, that's just to survive. And if you take the Alex Venosa perspective, that poker is just going to c- continue to to get worse. Less dead money, more pros, less card rooms, blah blah blah. He's he's the, he's a little cynical. <laughs> Well, I think he's. I would describe <laughs> him as think, wise. I think you uh, you gravitate towards that. So. <laughs> well, I mean, I've seen it firsthand, Steve. I mean, this isn't. I've been doing this f- full time for four years. Like when I f- first moved here, you know, this is just one card room, but there was the five five, sometimes two of them. It would run overnight, pretty much every night of the month. There'd be a game twenty four seven there. Um, 29 nights a month. One, um, There'd be some random Monday night where you just couldn't keep it going. And a, a lot more wild action. So, I mean, I've seen it personally. They've gone up on the rake, and there, but there's certain things with just business plan. They can't – there's just – I mean, I can just see it. I've seen it just in four years. The ratio of pros to amateurs has gotten worse. And uh, the pros, they just don't quit and get a job. They just stick around. Like I said, I've, I've got, caught a lot of hell from being pretty much the uh, – 
progenitor of the two five game there. It used to be two three and five five, and I pushed for it. I pushed for it, and uh, of course they all hate me there because a lot of nights there's no five five. There's just a couple two fives, and uh, it, it's just it's just it has not been a good move for me. For frankly, a lot of times it's just the same old fucking pros sitting there, and uh, I'm still trying to figure out. You know, at that stack depth, which card hands to play. But basically, my hourly has been poor there, uh, like 18 bucks an hour or something. I was thinking that was a 40 buck an hour game. It still might be. I've got a small sample. But, uh, yeah, Steve, I mean, I've said the same thing over and over again. I know you've got a more romantic view of it, but you don't see as much of it as I do, for sure. Yeah. So it's getting worse. I mean, you know, we've, we've, we, if you take all our guests and put them together, you kind of get a, you know, Dusty Schmidt, one of the first guys we had on, right? Number used to be the number one ranked guy on PokerStars playing cash, and now he's multi-tabling one two on ACR. Yeah, <laughs> true. I mean, that's that's what it is. And there's guys in my casino who used to make, I mean, who, who used to be two five crushers, and now they're well. There's one guy who's very specifically broke it down for me. He was playing two five in Atlantic City for ten years making a steady living and he moved out here and uh, he plays two, three mostly because the five, five was just too tough too you know, um, well, it looks like uh, Clayton's ready. Let's, uh, let's give him a ring. Okie doke. All righty. Well, we'll take a quick break and Clayton Fletcher. Tired of playing great poker for eight hours and then tilting it all the way on one hand. Elliot Rowe. I will not play a hand of poker unless I listen to that man's voice first. Meditation tapes just before you play. Get in the right mindset so you can focus on poker. Listen to an MP3 before you play. You put it right on your phone, your computer, your tablet. He has MP3s for everything. Live cash, online MTTs, post-game cooldown, the Mindset Booster Package, which comes with five MP3s. Confidence, motivation, recovery, volume, study booster, the simple volume system. Try it for free. There's no obligation. Listen to his 7-Minute Tilt Buster. It's free from me to you. This is the next step in poker, the Mindset Advantage by Elliot Rowe. Use the code HUPOKER. Score yourself a discount. All the links are in the show notes. Elliot Rowe. Hey, guys. Clayton Fletcher. Mr. Fletcher, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing good. Doing good. Did you ever know that you're my hero? (laughs) <laughs> and everything I would like to be higher than an eagle, for you are the wind beneath my wings. You always remind me of good. I got a voice, right? Yeah, really good, really yeah. good, surprisingly good. Actually. We need to get that man on stage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've offered him opportunities to get on stage about eleven thousand times, and he's just. You know, it takes a certain amount of uh, testicular fortitude <laughs> to get up here on stage. And uh, I'm afraid our boy just doesn't quite have what it takes. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> He's leaving Mike, the world to the left. <laughs> I told Mike uh, so many times, come well, to the US. I, 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 I think I'm destined here to make a movie, and we've had other discussions about that. You know, for you to get off your ass and come to LA, and we sit down in front of a computer and work on a script together. But one of these things are going to happen. I got a feeling, Steve. Either yeah. I will be humiliated in a New York City nightclub, mm-hmm. or yeah. Clayton will waste a monumental amount of time coming to visit me in, in California. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Either way, we both lose, so it's okay. 
Either way, you yeah, get a cabbage uh, to the, the face, right? Um, <laughs> congratulations, man. Yes. On what? What happened? Uh, <laughs> well done, sir. 28. Good God. <laughs> over 7,000 people. That Oh, hell of a run. Well done. Yeah, almost 8,000. 7,800 players. Um, somehow I made it to the top 100 again. And, oh, my God. You know what? It's kind of surreal. I, You guys remember, because we talked three years ago when I made my other deep run, yes. how disappointed I was that I didn't end up getting any camera time because I really thought like that would be the tournament that could put me on the map a little bit and open up other opportunities. I've made no secret about how my dream job is to be a poker commentator or to have some kind of poker TV show. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, back then I thought my one and only chance that I'd probably ever get had basically passed me by. And now here I was again. And uh, this time I think it's safe to say you'll see me on the broadcast. Yes. And, yeah. Oh, uh, I, w- I was just talking about that actually before you came on. Me and Steve, I said, yeah. uh, I said you were getting a lot of love from ESPN this time. Yeah, they- poker Go. We were seeing quite a bit of you. We saw some hands. Um, so, yeah, for sure. Hopefully that opens up some opportunities. I think it already has, right? Yeah, it really has. I've been doing some uh, of the Twitch streams with David Tuckman. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they did a, quite a few interviews, like ESPN uh, website had me on for a couple of interviews and it's been really fun. Um, but I got to tell you guys, before we get into the actual play, the biggest thrill of this whole thing was my mother came out again, like she did last time. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. And so she was railing and rooting for me. And then, uh, you know, spoiler alert, I busted at the end of day six and then day seven, my mom and I basically had a free day to do whatever we wanted in Vegas. And we decided to go see a show <laughs> and right behind us was Gus Hansen oh, cool. <laughs> with some of his friends. And he's always been one of my mom's favorite players and, you know, also one of mine too. So she was kind of like, you know, I want to talk to him. I want to say hi to Gus, uh, but I'm too nervous. I don't want to embarrass myself talking to a famous person uh, I said, well, how about just when we leave, mom, well, on our way out, you can say hi and that you're a fan or something like that, you know? Uh, and she said, okay. And then right when it was time to do that, she chickened out. I was like, oh, well, fine, mom. I'll talk to him. I'll introduce you to Gus. I'll say something to him and I'll introduce you. And uh, I'm trying to think, what can I say to Gus Hansen that won't embarrass anybody? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think I came up with a pretty good line. I leaned over to him and I said, hey, man, uh, thank you for writing that book. Reading your book really helped me a lot. I'm a poker player. And he interrupted me and said, aren't you Clayton Fletcher? <laughs> wow, that's pretty funny. That's awesome, dude. He said, I've been watching you on TV. <laughs> and my mother, I looked over at my mother and I have never seen a bigger smile on her face. Than the time that Gus Hansen recognized me. <laughs> That's pretty sweet. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so that was, I mean, as far as like whatever visibility this has given me, I don't think I'll ever be able to top that. Yeah. That was amazing. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. I had a similar one with my mom and Daniel Negreanu. She loves him. And he was playing at the WSOP and, and she was standing behind him and after he folded his hand and, and there were other players in the pot, I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, hey, Daniel. And he's all, yeah. I said, I think other than your mom, my mom 
is your biggest fan. Would you mind taking a picture with her? <laughs> He's like, yeah, sure. So he got up, we took a picture. I framed it for her that Christmas. <laughs> That's cool. I didn't know your mom was into poker. That's cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. She uh, she plays quite a bit. Wait, you didn't? No, I don't think I knew that oh, about okay. your mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she plays uh, quite a bit uh, uh, at her hometown, and then she'll come down and uh, play the uh, little tournaments. Your Twitter feed was uh, blowing up. I noticed uh, not only, of course, your poker friends, but all your comedian friends were getting uh, (laughs) quite excited about this. I mean, do they the one the ones who know you well obviously know you play poker probably. Do they? Any of well, you, you already made a deep run, so this probably isn't that stunning. But I'm sure there's probably a few people that thought this was something you fucked around with on weekends just for fun. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, this guy can win $8 million here. (laughs) Yeah. I I always think sometimes that people that don't really know the poker world or whatever, uh, you know, like they might do a show with me and be like, oh, that Clayton guy, you know, he's he's pretty funny. It's a a shame he has a gambling problem. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) He's always playing poker and stuff. That poor guy, you know, he's just blowing all his money. Yeah, he's probably just, you know, all the money he makes doing stand-up, he probably just blows it playing poker, you know, because people don't really differentiate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always wonder, you know, because yeah, in fairness to them, if you're not in the poker world, how would you know that there's a huge difference between playing a lot of poker and playing a lot of blackjack? Yes, you know? yeah. How would you know yeah, that? Or roulette. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah I got a speaking of, really speaking of money, mm-hmm. uh, nice score. Beyond beyond all the attention and possible other career opportunities here, this is. Uh, I'm not going to ask you how much you make at the Clayton Comedy Show there in uh, New York, but this is. I mean, does this qualify as is life changing money? And what what what? How is this going to change your life here? And if you don't mind me asking, did you have? I'm assuming you had a big piece of yourself. Yeah, I had almost all of myself. I had a few. Um, I had a few shares that I pieced out to other people, you know, do you want to swap 2% yeah. in the main event? Do you want to swap 3% in the main event? Just a bun- a couple of little uh, swaps, but otherwise, you know, that's my money. But, um, you know, $230,000 coincidentally is my fee to do any type of performance. So uh, that's what I'm used to making on a daily basis. So it's not really a life-changing situation at all. I'm skeptical. No, yeah, this is the the idea that someone, well, not because of your your talents, but anybody makes two hundred thirty thousand dollars a day would not be spending time talking to me and Steve. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, anytime anybody wants me to do like five minutes on their stand-up comedy show, I say sure, I'll be happy to do it. My my rate for five minute spot is. uh, Two hundred and thirty thousand. Um, I can give you a bulk rate if you want me to do ten minutes or more. Yeah. Then I just charge a flat, flat five hundred thousand. Yeah. You know, which is nice of me. I think it's fair of it, me it's, to do so that. He's totally gone fair, from yeah. he's gone from basically pimp to super pimp with a cherry on top. <laughs> <laughs> Going from yeah, the man to the man and a half. So what is, uh, what are you going to go on a nice vacation? I mean, what, is there any gift you're going to give yourself for this? Or are you just going to try to be smart with the money and maybe, maybe play a few more big buy-in yeah. tournaments? Yeah. Um, I, I definitely have not decided how to spend this money yet, but I know that I've decided not to spend it yet. So I'm not going to do something impulsive just because I have all of a sudden a, a major boost to my bankroll and my bank account. Gotcha. Um, I think 
I think it's going to be, well, I'm still in Las Vegas. I'm going to wait until I get back to New York, maybe talk to my manager about some possible, um, you know, poker related opportunities that we can approach and try to get into, you know, I just kind of keep that money in the bank for a little while and figure out, uh, the best way to invest some of it, how much of it I want to keep is as poker bankroll, how much I want to use for other life goals. Um, but yeah, at this stage, I'm just kind of enjoying when you get, I guess most of the listeners probably haven't had the opportunity to, to, you know, cash out for this amount before, um, as I had, and this is actually my first six figure score. I had a, a number of other high five figure scores before, but, um, I skipped right over 100,000 and went right up to 230 um, for my first six. Um, they ask you how you want it. And the first suggestion they make being the sweet and kind hearted people they are is chips. Do you, how do you want this chips or that's I know, how that's, they, yeah, I would, I, I'm guessing you took the check. Yeah, I, I took 10,000, <laughs> I took 10,000 in cash and said, just write me a check for the rest. But thank you so much for offering me um, chips that I could then go lose playing roulette in your lovely casino. Yeah, it's, it's just, to me, that's disgusting that they, they try to get you to take chips. Yeah. 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 Give me $200,000 in chips. <laughs> I'm going to go put it all on red. You know what? No, yeah, I'm just gonna, double up. I'm going to bet blue. That doesn't even exist, but I'm feeling lucky. See if I can double up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it but seems that, like uh, it, it seems like if I can adjust that this is totally you're not living with any regrets here. Total, total happiness. I, I like to start with the negative, of course, if I can if I can talk about your last couple hands. Um, but overall, you're not you're not thinking about that. Right. You're you're happy how you played and you you just had a great run and you had a great time. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't believe in congratulations. I think that approaching. I, I believe that approaching a poker tournament with the mindset of if I don't win first prize in this tournament, I'm going to be disappointed or angry or upset uh, is the wrong approach. When I sit down to play poker, I know that I'm going to play my best and that I'm going to make some mistakes. I'm probably going to make quite a few mistakes if I play for six or seven days, as I did in this tournament. Right. Um, I am, I, I'm not saying that there aren't hands I'd like to have back to do again, but okay. every poker tournament I've ever played, even the ones that I've won first place, there were hands that I think I played wrong or could have played better. Okay. Uh, so why should the main event be an exception to that? When I've played four or 500 tournaments in my life, maybe more maybe I've played seven or 800 tournaments in my life. And in each of those tournaments, there were hands that I played in a way that I wish I hadn't. So, okay. Uh, to, to take this one and say, Oh, because it's the main event, I should have played perfectly. is just not realistic. You know, what happened was in the situations in which I found myself, I made the best decisions that I could make, uh, given, all the factors at work. Sure. So it's very easy to watch people play on TV and say, Oh, he screwed that hand up or I wouldn't have done that. And that's what I do when I'm commentating. I talk about how badly I think some of the plays are, right. but in the, at the same time, I realize that the players 
are in a situation that I'm not in. Yeah. Right. I wasn't going to come like your, your bust out hand was like uh, shoving King 10 with like 11 bags or something. Was that, which is totally right. standard. I was yeah. just going to ask if it occurred to you at the time to like go into like tank fold mode with every hand just to try to get that 52 K pay jump. Yeah. Um, that was, that was going to yeah, be my I, only, my, my only question probably. I think when, a lot of people would have done that at that point. Yeah. I think that uh, many, many players would, uh, have folded the king ten of clubs under the gun with uh, I think I had ten big blinds at the time. Um, Definitely a shove in terms of chip EV for no no question about that. Right, and so when there's almost nine million for first place, how much do we care about a fifty thousand dollar pay right. jump, and how much do we care about trying to make a move when you know that? Most of your opponents are thinking about that pay jump. Yeah, it actually makes more sense to shove with that hand. That said, when you run into the king queen and you're really drawing slim, and then you lose and you don't get the pay jump, you right. think to yourself, "Well, was that a mistake?" So, of course, after any tournament, I like to review the important hands and say, "Did I play this hand poorly? Should I have made that move?" And then uh, that was a hand that I wanted to ask some of the pros that I'm friends with, uh, what they thought of shoving in that spot. And then I watched the coverage on poker go and, uh, Nick Schulman didn't even have any hesitation in saying that it's, it's a good shove. Right. So when, well, I, I, when, believe it or not, I, I take myself seriously as a poker journalist here. So I felt like, you know, we gotta, we gotta ask about the bust out hand. Yeah, no, that's fine. And and I think it's a good hand to look at because it kind of goes to my mindset in the tournament. Every tournament that I play, maybe to a fault, I focus on what what gives me the best chance of winning the top prize in the sure. tournament. Yeah. I'm not a huge ICM guy. Um, I know that ICM has really taken hold as far as um, uh, the the mainstream poker uh mindset as far as what correct strategy is and there is a lot of uh there's a lot of merit to the uh the idea of thinking about the value of laddering up but when the pay jump between 28th place and 27th place is 50,000 but the pay jump between 28th place and first place is 8.6 million uh i think more about the bigger pay jump and say does folding now and getting 26th or 25th place in all likelihood make more sense than trying to, I mean, I shove King 10 there hoping to get called by pocket eights. Right. You needed to, you needed to add chips. You needed to rebuild. Yeah. I, I get you. I, to, I totally, I totally agree. Yeah. At that time, my stack was one fifth of the average. Right. Um, partly because I played another questionable hand a few minutes before that one. The AC, um, the, the AC, yeah, yeah, right. Which you know, I've definitely been discussing a lot. Um, Let, with let's my go over that coaching. one while you're talking about it. What, uh, what happened? Yeah, um, I have talked about this hand on, on a number of other um platforms, but uh, real quick, uh, a player at my table, John Sin, who had been uh very aggressive of late, even four bet folding. Um, a bluff that I don't think was shown on the broadcast recently uh, seemed to be trying to take advantage of the fact that many players were shutting down for the night, trying to make it to day seven, get that $50,000 pay jump 
and I felt that he was uh, being uh, extremely aggressive. So I three bet him on the button with uh, ace eight of spades. The problem with this hand or with this decision, uh, one problem with this decision is that uh, my M or his M is only 12. So I don't really have a, a enough stack to have a lot of maneuverability after we take a flop, if we end up taking a flop yeah. for even a three bet. But instead it gets back to him and he kind of min four bets, just a little more than min four bets. And I'm in position with the suited ace against a player that I think has been uh, maybe trying to take some liberties he shouldn't be taking. And I figure even if he has something like a big pair, like kings or queens, um, I have a good amount of equity against those hands, which I might be able to realize in position, uh, you know, with my suited ace eight. Uh, certainly debatable, very questionable, but I don't think it's as bad now as I thought it was when it happened. Um, spoiler alert, I'm going to lose this hand. Uh, so I call the little click back there and uh, I flop top pair, top kicker with an eight on the board and also a backdoor flush draw. And then my opponent makes this tiny little bet on the flop, which I think he might also do with hands I can now beat, such as ace king, ace queen, and possibly even some bluffs because he does seem to be trying to win every pot here on the on a certain uh, on the end of day bubble, if you want to call it that. Yeah. So I think my ace eight is good enough and I shove and sure enough, this time he has it. He's got two Kings and even against that hand, I have five outs plus the back door. Um, but nothing goes well for me on the turn and river. And I end up losing approximately three quarters of my stack. Okay. Uh, actually no two thirds of my stack on that hand, which of course is not good. Um, and not the goal. But one reason I did it is because I, I did, in fact, have him covered. And another reason was the um, the recent history between us showed that he was uh, he was willing to kind of go off and that he seemed to be trying to put pressure on everybody else, even though he didn't really have the stack to be doing that. Um, he was doing that. So it just becomes, again, a question of is this the time for me to make a move kind of at the end of the day? When there is, uh, you know, don't get me wrong, guys, $50,000 is not an inconsequential amount of money to me, but it's just kind of when I'm playing poker, I never think about the money. Sure. Yeah. I just don't think about the money. I think about uh, how, the only money I'm really thinking about is, is how can I win this bracelet? What first place, what gives me the best chance at first place? And I think that peeling with the ace eight of spades there, getting three and a half to one because he clicked it back is still uh, questionable just due to our stack sizes. We don't really have, you know, if we have, if our M is like 30 or 40 and we have like a hundred big blinds or something, then I think this hand is a lot more. Uh, in, in game, in game, when he did the smallish four bet, did you, did the spidey senses kind of come over with you though? That's exactly like, what I was going to ask. Well, <laughs> well, I have to, I have to call here because I'm getting the price, but man, it feels like he might have it this time. It definitely did. Um, okay. I feel like I felt like there was a good chance that he had a strong hand. Um, and if he shoved the flop, which he had about a pot size bet left, which is what I mean by our stacks being too small to really maneuver. It, had he shoved the flop, I think I might be able to get away from top pair, top kicker even. But his small bet, I think, was uh, I mean, basically, he outplayed me 
by making that small bet because he induced me uh, to take kind of the the hand that I had and turn it into. Uh, sorry, but just uh, in in Clayton's defense, not against just this villain, but the whole field when you got late, uh, it was very aggressive. So folding yeah. top pair in any spot would feel like yeah. you're just making a, a big mistake. Uh, you could tell just by the fluctuations in your chip count. I know you were taught with like, you'd have, you'd be like, I got 14 million. And then like 10 minutes later, 6 million. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, just we were playing up big, and down big pot. Everybody there seemed they were willing to play big pot poker. Yeah. We had young players, um, which I, who I think a lot of them don't really have um, a, a, a subscription to tournament poker edge.com yes um kind and they of probably play. don't use the promo codes hup month hup quarter <laughs> hup year shout out to the sponsor um yeah and so in other words i don't think that people were thinking about gto or icm or any other uh three letter abbreviation <laughs> for poker strategy stuff i think they were just like you know this is my moment. I love having cameras on me and I'm going to show everyone how good I am at the game. But, uh, to be clear though, my particular opponent in this hand was not the flashy guy that was, um, you know, showing everyone how great he is at poker, but the recent, the very recent history, like within the last few hands, he did seem to be trying to take advantage of the fact that a very wild table had suddenly become tight. I think as people we're looking at the clock and realizing that after the next bust out, we'd actually be on day seven. And so uh, I, I think it's really close. I think, you know, I spoke with Andrew Boke, Andrew Brokus about that particular hand on his podcast pretty extensively. And uh, Andrew, who I respect a lot, kind of came to the conclusion that my play in that hand is okay. Um, not that he thinks it's a great play, but we, we decided together that, he was ready to beat me up, but only because he didn't realize I had the button. Uh, okay. Okay. He thought I was I was the hijack and that this player had raised from early position. I think in that situation, this is a terrible play because there are just too many players yet that could wake up behind me. And the players on my left were quite loose, which is also, I think, a reason why I should three-bet my button here and not let these loose players get involved. I want to play heads up. If I'm going to play this hand, I want to play heads up. So I, li I, mean, I like I know the three-bet a lot. I like the three oh, a lot. Uh, the, uh, yeah. the, uh, the call on the uh, pre-flop, though, to his four bet, I think that's where I would probably let this one go but continue with the, like, uh, like ace-king suited, the ace-queen suited, ace-jack suited, maybe? Well, ace-king, ace-king suited, you can, against the guy with a four bet folding range, you can you can shippy-shippy on this guy, Steve, for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one, uh, so I guess I'm just calling with the ace queen and the ace jack. Then I think he, I think he played it fine. It's just watching it live. I was like, you know, clenching my fist, like, don't fall for this. Yeah, you know what I mean? like you know, I'm just like, <laughs> so it was yeah. like, um, yeah, I think. I know. If I, I know, and what you have to remember too, and this is uh, so important to keep in mind, um, the difference between being at that table and watching it on on TV is. Uh, you could see he had kings. <laughs> right. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Wait and for it's it. Very hard this to, is the difference. <laughs> it's very hard to remember that when you're watching people play poker on TV, it's really hard to know it, it, how obvious it is the guy has kings. He doesn't always have kings when he four bets because sure. he'd already four bet folded. So, 
Um, I kind of wish that other hand had been shown on the broadcast so that people would know I'm not just making this stuff up. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I really don't care if people think I'm making it up. I know that I saw him for a bet fold already just like two minutes before that while they were showing uh, a table uh, hand from the other table on TV. So and and in addition, you can even see on the broadcast that he had been very active seven-handed when we were on the well he uh, uh he i think he was he the one that called four bet ten nine the other night i, think, I can't yeah remember. um yeah. quickly i'd like to give you congratulations on something else which i immediately gave a fist pump while i was watching calling out these other players for their excessive tanking i don't know if anyone in twitter's jumped in and give you credit for that but you know it gets it gets fucking silly it really does yeah. i'm Go on ahead. a mission i uh, appreciate that uh mike I, i'm on a mission to uh, get a shot clock on every single tournament played around the world everywhere because I am so sick of hands that should take about 30 seconds taking 10 or 12 or 15 minutes. And yeah, I, I tried to do it in a way that wouldn't seem like I was being a jerk, but I wanted to make sure they knew that it's ridiculous that we're getting like at, at the end of that day, we were getting like seven hands an hour or something. It was insane how long they were taking. Yeah. And it makes drives me nuts. It makes for bad television and um, it's just not good. I don't think you can, exa- I don't think you can exaggerate how bad it is for the game. It re- you it's really so can't. Bad. There's people, yeah. I mean, I've heard people who, you know, cash game guys from, from my casino who are like, I just won't go to Vegas anymore. I won't play tournaments. Like this used to be something they did every year. That specifically yeah. is the reason they don't want to play tournaments in Vegas anymore. A bunch of fucking yeah, stone faced punks, you know, taking a minute and a half to fold their nine high on the river, you know? Yeah, just fold your hand. Yeah, there was one hand where I haven't watched all of the broadcast yet. Um, and I don't know when I will because I really don't feel like watching poker or playing poker or anything after that. (laughs) Um, But I'm sure at some point I'll sit down and and listen. I really respect Nick Shulman a lot. So I want to hear what he has to say about other hands that I played as well. Um, But yeah, I felt a little bit uh, exonerated. I mean, yeah, if you check like snap shove or whatever, then King nine suited is the worst hand I should be shoving under the gun. Of course, snap shove or any other app isn't going to consider that it's a huge pay jump. They don't really consider all those factors, but you know, I don't generally consider those factors either. I mean, unless, unless the pay jump between, uh, 27th and first didn't happen to be so large. I might care a little bit more about that 50,000, but I, you know, I'm always kind of thinking about what gives me the best chance to win the tournament. Yeah. And uh, I definitely sacrificed some, um, uh, ICM and I would make what some would consider ICM mistakes. But that is why if you look at my Hendon mob in the tournaments that I have cashed, I don't min cash. I have very, very few min caches on my record because yeah. I tend to abuse bubbles and sometimes you get caught abusing the bubble and then you end up bubbling yourself. Yeah. Uh, I bubble probably more than anyone else you've ever talked to on your podcast. Right, because when bubble time comes, I become crazy, Clayton. I mean, <laughs> cray cray. <laughs> yeah, and especially in this tournament, uh, not as much this year. I want to talk to you guys about a couple of bubble hands, but uh, in the other deep run I had, I made all the chips on the bubble oh, because wow. my players. One guy literally folded a, a set to me on the bubble because he said, "I don't want to lose." 
Yeah, they want wow, that I min gotcha. cash. Wow. For some players, the min cash is so much more money than they've ever had. And there's really like pro- probably for this event specifically, there's really like a bunch of bubbles almost like the end of day two, the end of day three, the end of day yeah, four. Then, you know, like there's a lot of then, spots where people just they just want to bag or they just they just don't want to get involved. Right. And there was one going on with this ace eight hand. Uh, there, there was a bubble in progress right then that I felt John Sin was taking advantage of. Yeah. Um, he happened to really have, have a hand. This time, but I think that his range, even his four betting range, includes hands much weaker than ace king. And also, I want to disagree respectfully with what you said, Steve, about me putting ace jack in my flatting range when he four bets, because I think ace jack is essentially the same as ace eight in this situation. You may be right. You may be right. I I was thinking it's because of tens, but um, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's just a well, – what are you doing with ace-queen suited then? Are you flatting there or are you I, just shipping it? I think that might just be a shove. Yeah. Yeah, so drop ace-jack suited and then just shove uh, ace-queen. I'll have ace to king. listen to the interview with Andrew. I, I'm going to take a slight a, a guess here, and Andrew would say he would a little bit like you to shove – he would like a shove with 10-9 more than ace-eight – 10-8 more than ace-eight because he's got all that ace-x air. Right, 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 right. Uh, right and, and that's a point that a number of people made also on Twitter and in poker blogs around the world um, that Ace-8, some think, is one of the worst hands for me to shove. So some people were saying, well, if you're going to play it, you, you shouldn't just call the four bet, you should shove. But right. I think one thing, one thing that's kind of lost nowadays is pre-flop pot odds. I mean, his bet was so small, his re-raise sure. was so small that I was getting – like three and a half to one, which is actually correct odds. If I know for a fact he has ace king, yeah. ace queen, and I'm dominated, I actually have the correct equity to call and try to outflop him. I don't have a problem with that. The calling, yeah, yeah. I, 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 no, I think I think it, it's fine. It's if if that's the worst hand you played all tournament, obviously you played great. Yeah. Oh, believe me, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> not even close. Before um, maybe we could talk about a couple of hands, but I want to get back to the uh, your desire for some to be a poker commentator or some sort of create some poker content. I, I was going to sure. ask you the same thing here. I, I love uh, that commentary that you did, by the way. Um, and you're doing another you, one today. Yeah, we're doing, uh, I think, I, I think we're doing the 10 K six max today, but by the time this comes out, it'll, it'll already be in the books. Okay. <laughs> well, they could still watch it, uh, you know, click on the yeah. video that it's already uh, happened. But So, cool. um, yeah, I mean, what do you have in mind? I mean, Poker Go, obviously, they they already got Nick Schulman, who's the the goat of commentary for for most people. Although I yeah. I, I still love Olivia Bisquet, and of course they use Jamie Kerstetter, who's um everybody loves her too because she's so smart and funny and everything. Um, so is this kind of something that's a possibility, or do you something? Do you have any? Uh, I don't know if you you maybe you want to talk to an agent before you uh talk about it talk about it in. Uh, on a podcast, yeah, not a, do you have any other no. ideas of, of of things you can do here? I have some uh, poker show ideas of my own that I'd like to create. Okay, um, that I that I wouldn't be able to talk about because you know of you know agent kind of stuff. But aside from that, if they don't let me have my own show, uh, just being included on that list that you just gave of the great commentators. Uh, to be one of the poker go employees 
whether it's uh, doing uh, the events that Nick Shulman is playing or, you know, whatever. I don't think that I am uh, as good as Nick. I agree with you that he is absolutely the greatest, <laughs> maybe the best there ever will be. I love listening to him talk about poker. I can literally watch poker go for 12 hours at a time. If Nick's on, I want to watch it. Um, and same for Jamie, by the way. And she's a, a, a good friend of mine. And I uh, am so thrilled for all of her success. Um, I feel like my angle is a little bit more the fact that I'm a comedian. So I might be able to commentate in a way that might be uh, what I'm trying to do is a little bit more entertaining uh, for the more casual viewers. Basically, like, t- tell jokes to hide the fact you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I got it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a disaster would be if I end up being Dennis Miller on Monday Night Football. Um, right. Uh, that that would be the worst case scenario. They, they give me some big opportunity and then it's just everything I try falls flat. And it's like it's not only not funny, but it's actually annoying. Um <laughs> But I'm hoping that my whatever amount of poker knowledge that I have is uh, enough to compensate for how bad my jokes are. It uh, well, ah, I liked okay. your commentary uh, quite a bit. It was uh, it was good, entertaining uh, jokes uh, sprinkled in at just the right moments, and you guys had a good dynamic. I I was incredibly surprised. Um, some of the uh, some of the plays we saw were like really good, and then other ones it was like I was telling Mike earlier. I felt like I was watching a $10 online tournament. Yeah. Uh, you now Steve's talking about last night we recorded for Twitch. Yeah. The, um, well, we not recorded, but we actually live streamed the uh, final table of the uh, little one for one drop, which is uh, an $1,111 buy-in with a charity component. Um, and the, the play at the final table was uh, let's just say, the 10K six max today will probably be substantially better. Yes, I think so. <laughs> was, there was a, a guy got uh, a trip kings on the river, never value bet. Um, it was uh, earlier he folded the ace king suited. And I was like, he must have had some sick read or something that we don't know about to be able to drop that there. Uh, but then when he didn't value bet the king, I'm like, okay. <laughs> You know, and I think that that I think that table is very educational uh, and actually supports my theory of my approach to tournament poker in general, which is for so many players at that final table, uh, the one thousand dollar buy in was probably one of the biggest they've ever done. So a two hundred thousand dollar prize for third place is way more important to that player than the bracelet or the $560,000 prize for first place. Yeah. And so when I'm up against a player and I believe that's his particular individual mindset, I play for first place. If this guy's going to be happy with third so much so that he's not going to put a chip in the pot without the nuts, then that's the kind of player that I can really leverage uh, my aggression uh, against yeah do you know what i mean i i completely agree there, there was another one i saw where they were down to three-handed i haven't finished it yet i got um I we're down to three-handed and then it was 10 eight of clubs on the button and he opened folds which if you go by the charts would be a fine shove right for his stack size 
He just folded. Yeah, I hated that fold. And then uh, the small blind, which was even <laughs> more amazing to me, uh, he just open folded the uh, ace three off suit to the big right. blind, and he they, got a walk with uh, six high. <laughs> yeah, so three handed, they were the both of the shorter stacks were waiting for the other shorter stack to go bust, and that that is a strategy if your goal is to get second place. Second place, yes. <laughs> And, you know, and I, and I'm not, I'm not really trying to disparage those guys because, you know, one of them is a circuit grinder. He actually has the guy who open folded 10, eight, and we were being, I think pretty hard on him in the podcast. Uh, his name is Christopher, uh, strat or stat. I'm sorry. I don't Uh, remember. No, it's a one syllable last name with two A's in it. It's either stat or strat. Um, Anyway, he has three circuit rings, which is three more than I have, by the wow. way. Um, and he's never had a six-figure score before. He has like six $600,000 in lifetime earnings. If you're a circuit grinder and for you a really good day is winning like $24,000 in a $300 circuit event, and yeah. now you're on a in a spot where you can actually like pay off your house and you know send your kid to college – if you just can get to third place, yeah, I okay. get it. Okay. You know, I get it. And that's why when I play poker, I don't think about what I can do with the money. I already won the money. And I still haven't thought about what I'm going to do with the money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. That, that's an edge. But again, how they're playing, like I just said, ICM is not just a, an abstraction. Like chips have, right. when you go late, the chips that you lose are, is the chips that you win, uh, you're gaining less than you when you lose the chips. That uh, is true. So is- he, so it's not – so I, I get – at that point when it's three-handed, for sure, I mean, just listening to it, I would definitely be – I don't know how many bigs he – but I would be definitely shoving the ASX from the small blind, for sure. I, what did he, he have, like, 14 or 17 bigs or something? Do you remember? Yeah. Well, the 10-8 guy had – the 10-8 guy had 17 bigs and, and open-folded his button with 10-8 suited. And then uh, the next guy had, I think, 23 bigs and 23. just open-folded his small blind to the chip leader – because it was very, very clear from the way they were playing that the goal was to ladder up to, to second place. Because to them, the pay jump from second to third, I believe, was about $100,000. Yeah. And when you're talking about even just winning $100,000 would have been what these guys might have considered uh, life-changing money, then I think I understand why they do what they do. And Mike, I agree with you 100% that – ICM is not just an abstract concept and the chips literally do have value, but winning first place also has value. And at some point you need to go for the gold. Right. You've already locked up third place. What are you waiting for? You're trying to get second now. Yeah. It, to me, I think people take ICM too far and I'm glad that they do because I exploit their tendency to overfold, maybe misunderstanding the concept concept of ICM and trying to ladder up and at some point laddering becomes a mistake if you have a hand you should actually be playing and you consider laddering more important than getting involved in any pot even with an ace heads up in the blinds that's a mistake yeah right yeah I concur yeah. yeah so and I saw that a lot throughout the main event particularly at the inflection points like an end of the day bubble 
a final, uh, you know, a, a money jump, a, any money, money bubble of any kind seemed to like create uh, a tendency to overfold among some of my maybe less experienced opponents or even maybe more experienced opponents who misunderstand how important ICM is. At some point you need to say, yeah, if I fold here, I can climb the ladder and win an extra $12,000 of real money or whatever. Okay, right. but if you win this pot, you might have a better shot at nine million. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at some point, uh, which is more important. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, I probably misunderstand the concept myself, and I'll, I'll I'll readily admit that if I err, it's on the side of ignoring ICM too much. There's uh, yeah, not not overestimating its importance, but I probably underestimate its importance in spots, <laughs> maybe even. You could throw in the king ten of clubs. You know, Clayton, you could have won two hundred eighty thousand instead of two hundred thirty thousand if you just fold. Even though snap shove says it's a profitable shove, there are other things to consider, such as doesn't that money jump mean anything to you? I guess my short answer is it doesn't mean as much to me as trying to get back into this tournament. Yeah, I no, I, I like the king ten. Uh, I, I'm I'm thinking ICM at a final table where. You're a medium stack, uh, and you've got two big stacks, maybe like three or four medium stacks, and then two tiny stacks. Now I think we need to uh, kind of be careful. Like if you got two guys with two big blinds, right? Another and two he's spots. and he's and he's well under chip average at that point. It'd be another right, exactly. chip average was twenty five bigs or something like that, and like there was a couple of people with five bigs, like you said, Steve. Yeah, yeah. Like he needed he needed to chip the 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 ace eight hand was pretty crippling to his stack, and he simply needed it to chip up if he was going to yep. do anything. True. Right. Yeah. I mean, my my stack was one fifth of the average after I lost the ace eight hand, um, and before that hand even started, it was already slightly below average. So. Uh, I don't think that looking at the average stack is that important with 28 players left, but in terms of just the overall evaluation of a play that we can consider close, I think it leans more towards, well, why don't you make the shove here, see if you can get it through, or better yet, even get called by Queen 10 or something. You know, I wouldn't put that out of the range of possibilities, like getting called by a dominated hand. Yeah. Um, not a Not a big part of their calling range but some of these guys would would have called with jack 10 or queen 10 um and all of them would have called with eights nines sevens and a lot of those pairs against which i have a flip that i welcome you know a lot of times i hear tournament players say i didn't want to take a coin flip in situations where i think you should be more than willing to take a coin flip yeah yeah and for me i don't and maybe this is uh not correct but i don't i don't even think about icm until i get to the final table yeah, but you also haven't been in the top hundred of the main event. That's true. Because when you do, that, <laughs> then the pay jump is so, the shit out of that. <laughs> yeah, the, the the pay jumps become so so significant, significant. Yeah. and then the dynamic, and then the dynamic becomes which of these guys are playing for twenty seventh place, and which of them are right. playing for first. Yeah, and trying to figure that out might factor into uh, the decisions slash mistakes, if you will, that I made or didn't make. Uh, at that stage of the tournament. I know for me, I always just try to play the best tournament game that I can. And when I finish, sometimes they give me money. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, the, the amount of money 
I was going to get on that day was going to be somewhere between $230,000 and $8.8 million, largely based on luck and partly based on decisions that I made. Okay. So the, the tournament didn't end and your mother didn't slap you with her purse and say, ICM, stupid. <laughs> no. She, she said, you know what? Uh, we could talk about the hands if you want. Uh, she said, or if you want, we could just go get a drink uh, and talk about something else. She said, but whatever. Even if you find out that you, you've, you've made the biggest mistake of your life. You still have quarter million dollars in your pocket. <laughs> sure. <laughs> How many times do you make a huge mistake and then still have yeah, still a have huge a consolation? Show for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So, and that's kind of the way I look at it. And I think that my, I don't want to seem like I'm being cavalier about money or about pay jumps or pretending that $50,000 means nothing to me. But I think in the grand scheme of things, the way I've always played tournament poker, which I started doing in around 2002, is that I try to win the tournament. So it would be very hard for me to change that now, even when there are big pay jumps to consider. I think it's the right approach. Just win. Well, thanks a lot of like people just a tournament. <laughs> you just have all the chips. You're the undisputed champion. It's but also it. you got to think about the the EV of being the main event champion, uh, too which is uh, really big for someone like me that wants to be in the public eye yeah, and sure. wants to get opportunities in the media. So folding my way to an extra $50,000 is less valuable to me given uh, my career goals outside of poker. Yeah. So I want to be right. someone that will recognize. And uh, the only way to really do that, you know, I, I think, I think we can all agree that, that, uh, winning the main event is probably the only chance I have of ever being on the tonight show. <laughs> <laughs> if you've ever seen my show, you'll agree with that. If you ever <laughs> see my comedy act, <laughs> the five minute spot comedian that charges 230 K. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to hire me. <laughs> they wouldn't be able to afford that. you on the tonight show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. I need to win the main event just to get late again. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I understand. Mike's getting extra desperate as each year goes by. Yes. Got a, got a, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's great. I mean, obviously, congratulations, sincerely. Yes. Well done, sir. Well Thanks. Done. Well done. Yeah, thank you. Um, I I feel good, and uh, it was fun having everybody rooting for me. I mean, I was getting, like, celebrities tweeting at me. and, and Gus yeah, Hansen knew who you were. <laughs> Gus Hansen knows my name. That was so ridiculous. Well, like I said, if you make the final table, it becomes even bigger than that. I remember Moneymaker was asked about, I think, you know, his best moment of, I forget, talking about all the people and all the attention and stuff. And he said, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio approached him somewhere. He said, I just, my name's Leo. I just want to let you know I'm a big fan. You know, almost yeah. like talking like he didn't know who he was kind of thing. You know? Right, right. I think it's pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, Leo. Oh, hi. Nice to meet you, Leo. Yeah. You said it was Leo, right? Just, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. How do you spell that? <laughs> That's great. Well, so we got, got, we, uh, got a, we got a hand or two we're going to discuss here, so I can I can run off and go to the beach and book, jump on my boogie board here. Oh, nice. Nice life, Mike. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I definitely have some hands uh, from the early levels. Okay. I thought... You know, I kind of wanted to 
let you guys know I uh, I wasn't happy at all with my play on day one. I originally intended to play day one C, and uh, it was pretty late at night on day one A, and I was in the satellite room. I think once the main event starts, the satellite room is where you want to be. Um, the games are so good. Players who never play a $500 sit-and-go are playing a $500 or $1,000 sit-and-go uh, trying to get into the main event. So there's a lot of money to be made. So whether I've satellited in myself or if I've just bought in, uh, you'll always find me in there. So I'm in there really late, and I get a call from the Poker Go guys. Can you do commentary for us on day 1C? We want to run the 888 final table, the crazy eights final table. And I said, well, I was planning to play uh, 1C myself, but I guess I could go to bed now and play 1B tomorrow and then play day 1C. So long story short, I end up getting not enough sleep to play 1B and I can't get back to sleep. And I played 1B anyway. So I played the whole day on like four hours sleep and I made a lot of mistakes. I was not happy with my play on day one at all. And I was thrilled to survive day one with only 16,000 chips uh, and just to get through it without busting. Um, and then they end up canceling my gig on the day one C anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was infuriating, but that's show business. Uh, yeah. Things change. You know, no, no offense to them. I know things change. And, and especially when they're trying to piece together what the live stream schedule is going to be. It's a very hard job and there's so many factors at, at stake and they never promised me we'd be doing a live stream. They just kind of asked, would you be available? And I wanted to make sure that I was available because I wanted to do as much commentating as I can. <clears throat> yeah. So yeah, I made so many mistakes on day one, but still managed to get through it. And you know what? This tournament is so good <clears throat> that if you have 16,000 at the end of day one, at any other tournament in the world, you finish day one with one third of the starting stack, you're dead. Yeah. In this tournament, I still had an M of like 10. Yeah. You come back to 300, 600 with a 100 ante. So I was fine. It's also, by the way, fun uh, sweating Clayton via Twitter because he does give very specific hands, much like Andrew Brokus yeah. does. I like that where you get to. I'm 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 looking through your day one Twitter feed here. I'm uh, the only hand that I'm like I bet might have bothered you where you called in a multi way pot. You call. I don't know if this is a hand you're going to talk about, but you call the check raise with Ace King on a King Seven Six board. I don't know. Yeah, that you, was, you, you, that you, 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 you played so many hands here. You can't remember. I mean, we, we yeah. don't have to get into that hand. I'm just, I'm looking at some of the hands. I'm like, ah, this sounds like this could be someone who's tired mentally there. Someone's, yeah, there's, there's not that many bluffs in someone's range. Usually coming to the end of a day one there, you never know villain, villain dependent. Right. And, and my typical playing style is I, I really try to make a player profile of each of my opponents. This guy really wants to make day two. This guy doesn't care about making day two. He's trying to abuse those that are trying to make day two. Uh, you know, there are so many bubbles in the main event, and I'm always kind of hyper aware of which of my opponents care about those bubbles and which don't because they really uh, create some exploitable situations if you're able to make good reads of those um, player profiles. Um, I wasn't as able to do that as I normally am. And as a result, I decided to try to lock it down and play a much tighter style than than is natural for me. And I think that my day one VPIP is probably an all-time 
record low for me. And gotcha. still I made a lot of mistakes, even though I was trying to kind of stay out of a, a lot of pots. It really shows the importance of good sleep. You need to get your rest. If I could have gotten back to sleep and even missed the four out the first four hours of day one B, that would have been better yeah. than sleeping a little bit and then playing. But somehow I survived and then obviously things went much day two. better from there. <laughs> day two, at least the first half. I, I, maybe I sensed you were going deep. I, I was sweating you pretty pretty hard watching all your tweets. And you were in a position of manic joy for the first few hours of day two, it looked like there, because you were running – there's like exclamation points at all your tweet, but you ran from 16,000 to looks like 210,000 in the first couple hours or something. In the first two hours of day two, I more than tripled my stack. So okay. at the end of the, at the end of the first level of day two, my 16,000 was now 58,000. Uh, then we had a little break and one hour later I had 100,000. And then after the next break, after the dinner break, which was an early break that day, we took a break after the second level. By the end of that day, I had 237,000. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's quite a day of poker, starting with 16 yes. and ending up with 237. And at one point, it was over 300. Okay. Wow. On day two. Yeah, which uh, was very exciting. And yeah, there of course, there were a lot of exclamation points. You know, I showed up thinking that I might end up getting all in in the first two hours with my 16,000 stack. If I played a pot with a decent hand, I might have to end up all in for the first time in the tournament. Um, and you don't really want to be all in ever yeah. <laughs> in yeah. tournaments if you can help it. Yeah. Sure. That's how you lose them, you know? Um, but it just, it kind of went basically perfectly. I bluffed a few times on day two and each of those bluffs went through and I value bet a lot on day two, and all of them seem to be getting called or raised. And uh, yeah, I just, it was what you would dream of. It was like having a dream about running like God. I basically ran like God on day two. Yeah. Yeah. I ran like Jason Mercier on day two, put it that way. <laughs> that was cool. So, uh, what was. I don't know. Do we want to go to specific hands or should we quickly complete the, uh, the narrative of it looks, I'm looking at day three was pretty good too. You got it. You let you bagged up about 500 K. Oh no, you were up to over 500 K. I'm looking at you bagged 398 on day three. Is that sound right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, uh, I want to talk about one hand from day three. Because okay. day three is okay. the most interesting day. To me, day three is the most interesting day of the main event because everyone's thinking about the money. You make the money on day three. Okay. You could be 300 players away from making the money and they start talking about, oh, we're going to get into the money today. Again, like you got like some free rollers that are in there. They want a $20 satellite or something. And the, the winning $15,000 is, is a huge accomplishment when sure. you didn't pay to get into the tournament. So sure. a lot of players in this tournament, more than any other tournament, really care about making the money. Okay. So we're getting towards the end of day three, maybe 100 players away from the money. And uh, I had a pocket aces um, under the gun. The blinds were 2,000 and 4,000 with a 500 ante. Okay. I had 300,000 behind. And I raised it under the gun to 10,000. 
I think that's pretty uncontroversial. Yeah. <laughs> I raised with aces in first <laughs> position. Good for me. Uh, the big blind on my right is a decent player, uh, older guy with a Boston accent, who's kind of been complaining a lot about how I keep abusing him. He thinks that he's folded too much to me. And he, instead of doing it with his chips, he's doing it with his mouth, trying to stop me from taking advantage of him. Yeah. All right. He's like, I know that you've been, you know, stealing my chips all day, that kind of thing. All right. So he's the only caller in this hand and he has 180,000. So the effective stack for this pot is 180,000. Okay. okay. And what, what position was he in? He's in the big blind. Big blind. Okay. On my on my immediate right, the big blind. Okay. All right. How how old is he? Like what? I'd say he's uh, maybe around sixty, between fifty five and sixty. White guy. You know, and he's a kind of a tough talker, Bostonian. Oh. Okay. Uh, he's kind of bragging about daily tournaments he won at Foxwoods and stuff like that. Okay. <laughs> Whatever okay. that kind of guy. Is he a white guy? <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. All yeah. right. Uh, so it comes and this is Mike this is where I was tweeting about which accent because the guy on my left had a really thick yeah. New York yeah, accent yeah, yeah, yeah. which is more brutal would you rather have the guy on my right with the awful Boston accent or the guy on my left with the awful New York accent I, I <laughs> joked that I hadn't heard one R all day um, <laughs> I flopped an ace it comes ace of clubs queen of clubs seven of spades and I have the red aces Okay, and my opponent Checks to me. Okay. So There's in the pot a, right now, we've got uh, 10 and 10 is 20, 22 plus the antes, uh, 25,000, 20, 26,000, something like that. Yeah. I had it down as about 26,000. 26K. Okay. We and I'm really that. proud of, uh, of this hand, by the way, because he checked and I did something that uh, maybe a year ago I wouldn't have done. I bet 38,000. Okay. <laughs> one and a half you know, times funny before this started i was like i was already thinking like overbet the flop or like yeah play for stacks here like make him feel really against the wall but then with that flop i wouldn't i was like okay he's either check or bet small right and and you have top set you have the nuts why would you ever overbet and I think that my opponent was good enough to have that same thought. Why would Clayton overbet right. if he has it here? So it gets, you know, you kind of get into a bit of a leveling war. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just put in 38,000 and uh, he insta called hmm. in a okay. way that kind of said, look, I don't believe you. Right. And, it, and he's just like snap called, didn't even seem to care how much I had bet. So at that point, I put him on a hand like Queen Jack, maybe a flush draw. Um, it's very hard for him to have an ace, obviously, because there's only one ace left in the deck. So I, I felt like he probably had a queen. And he was he decided that it was time for him to take a stand yeah. against me. Okay. Uh, so it, um, yeah, it, it, a queen sounds very likely or, you know, something like King Jack or clubs or something. Even though right, he, might, he might just ship it there on you. He, he, yeah, he might have pocket deuces looking to uh, to check. check. You never know where he's at right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but what but I that, do that's know. Great. First of all, a lot of players aren't even seeing that spot or not paying attention to those. I annoy the shit out of people, so I'm pretty good with spots like that, too. I'm always, yeah. getting, I'm, I'm always getting that 
try that again and I'm going to shove on you kind of thing, you know? And I'm like, well, why not this time? Yeah. Right. Wait, why are you waiting until next time to shove on me? It's What's pretty transparent of- that they don't want to do it at all. So right. they'd rather just talk. A lot of times tough talk um, belies the truth, right. which is the guy doesn't have the guts to come after you with his chips. So he's going to try to compensate for that. by being like, yeah, you keep playing like that. I'm going to teach you a lesson one of these days or they'll say you know that kind of stuff it works every time but once you know that kind of thing okay but now he finally takes his stand and i have the nuts so but i think the over bet here i'm really proud of this bet because um normally with top set you just want to try to see if you can squeak out a little value for your hand and i figure if he has a queen he's never folding to one bet no matter how big the bet is yeah and i can also get value from Maybe even like a Jack Ten with a gut shot that says, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick around. I'm not gonna let this guy keep bullying me. Oh yeah, I so, think he's calling there with King Ten, King Jack, Jack Ten, all those. So once he calls, um, what are your thoughts on the turn? Do you already? Uh, well, well, I guess you're just waiting to see with the card. I was like, uh, no, no, I do like to think ahead. Um, yeah, like which what, were you were you like? Well, this was this. Well, if we check the turn, let me see. I mean, if you check the turn, then he's pretty much got a pot sized river shove, right? He started right. with hundred. He started with one hundred and eighty. Well, at he that point, should, you'd have about one hundred. Should have like one forty yeah. right now. Yeah, not quite. Yeah, okay. exactly. Uh, no, I'm sorry, one thirty. One more than that. One thirty-two. Yeah. He has one hundred and thirty-two. He's there already put forty-eight in the pot. Yeah, so he's yeah. Okay, so what was the uh, the turn card or? Yeah, so my thinking was um, now that he's called this. Um, now that he's called this big bet on the flop that even a small bet on the turn would basically get him pretty close to pot commitment. So I, I don't think I need to bet huge on the turn. I get a beautiful card on the turn. The deuce of hearts nice. would be the card I would have wished for. Probably. Um, he checks and I see the pot right now. If I done my math correctly, it's around 104. Yeah. So, I just bet forty thousand, almost the same that I had bet on the flop. Yeah, and I think he'd probably call again if he has a queen. Yeah, yeah I've been clubs. bullying him <laughs> the way the way he sees it. Or the I've been bullying him all day. Yeah, yeah. Um, Any thoughts to had, under uh, to underbetting from what you did the, the previous one? Because you could bet twenty eight k here, and you still. It's under a it's under a pot size shove on and, and I mean if you just want to annoy the fuck out of the guy too. Yeah, that would have been <laughs> a good. That, that would have yeah. been. A, that, yeah, I really like that idea. I didn't actually consider it. I'll admit that that thought didn't cross my mind. I I didn't realize uh, if he's got a hundred. If I bet twenty, yeah, I think he might. The problem with doing that is I think he might be able to talk himself out of calling me with the queen. If I bet too small on the turn, then he might say, well, I can still okay. keep this 100000 But I think that's because this bet puts him under 100000 Right. Well, I was I, thinking I, the opposite, where you bet small and it's like, okay, good. I don't have to – like he's not thinking you're going to bet 100 on the river after betting 28 here maybe. Right. So, of course, we're dismissing the fact that he could have a big hand almost, that it's all ego with Queen X. He could have a combo draw here. Yeah, I was right. All the, uh, draw. the so club draws. In that, in that too. case, you know, there's something to be said for just charging him the right price too. Yeah, if, absolutely. If he was if he was a sane human being, um, on the, he shouldn't be calling anything on the turn other than if he's you know slow playing a set somehow, or two pair, or a big draw. 
Like you shouldn't really have that many just Queen X that's continuing here on the turn. Right. Uh, but I think with the table dynamics and sure. uh, the amount of frustration he's openly expressed, I think he would call again with the queen. Um, he did fold on the turn, so there's no more action in the hand. But uh, I like your idea, Mike. I didn't actually consider uh, putting in like 28,000 or something annoying like that. Uh, I, I Maybe I, I think that that looks too strong. Um, but yeah, it's hard to say how that would have looked to him. It's also hard to say what the heck he called on the flop with and then folded on the turn. I don't think it was a queen. I'm guessing it was probably a gut shot. You know, maybe yeah, maybe like, a, maybe yeah, like a small club draw or something. Uh, well, if he's playing properly, he, he has to fold a queen on the turn there. So I don't know. Yeah, because he's just you can't go broke near the near the bubble here with with that many chips. I don't think. But um. Yeah, it's great that you thought of the overbet on the flop. You definitely yeah, got some got some chips out of there. I I would have bet small on it or even check back the turn. Uh, make him yeah, think I, like, I like checking back the turn. Um, I think it's hard to get the hundred thousand dollar bet, hundred thousand chip bet called on the river when you do. But it, I mean, it's, it's definitely not. It, it's non-zero. You know, there's some chance. Right. I, I was yeah. actually thinking shove the turn. Now it's an overbet, but he's already called one of those. Uh, you know, there's a like a, what, 104 in the pot, and um, he's got 132. I think we said behind. Um, then Even though he, he, all, all the it, like, let, what's he going to do there with the Jack Ten of Clubs? I don't think he's folding that if you shove right, or King Jack of Clubs, or he's got he's got to fold if he's. If, I mean, let, let's just just because he's an egomaniac doesn't mean you know we can't assume he, he doesn't he doesn't understand pot odds or doesn't understand poker at all and. You know what I mean? I mean, when he has to make proper folds, he suffers for that and gets angry at the other guy. But he's still holding. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that he just isn't capable of making them, though. So. And also, there's only one combination of Jack Ten of Clubs or King Jack of Clubs. Like he's got a lot more Queen X in his range, and and, and I think any flush draw would call this bet that I made here yeah. on the turn with the implied odds. I mean, I gave him like almost. I gave him like three and a half to one yeah. with my with my turn bet. So yeah. I think he's he's going to continue with his club draws and maybe sometimes chip stuff. Then which I think, like, uh, I think it's I Queen know. X, but ninety five percent of the time there. But we, right. we don't we don't know. Yeah. So was there yeah. any table was there any table talk afterwards? Oh yeah, I mean, he he just kept telling me how he was going to get me, and uh, he's like, yeah, you know, he he made the point that uh, he wished he could trade seats with me. Uh, okay okay do you you ever do you ever trying to like cut the like you know get on the phone and pretend you're talking to someone this fucking (laughs) this meathead just folded honey (laughs) you know what there's they aren't even competition kneel before zod yeah that that's that's hilarious and not really part of what i do i think i'm hoping that some of the footage on espn um, shows or already showed that my style of table talk is actually kind of playful and friendly. It's not really like, I don't, I don't call people meatheads and I don't, I don't berate them or, uh, or, or try to get under their skin. Right. In you're, that you're, very gentle. you're like, you are the nicest shithead I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm going to write that down. I'm gonna, you can put that on my grave when I die. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, maybe not the most interesting spot, but I found it. I found it to be uh, just an example of 
uh, how I try to use the information that I have about the psychology of my opponents to advantage to as much advantage as I can. I think many players would bet a very small amount on the flop and then try to get a little more value on the turn. And they, they leave a lot of chips on the table because, you know, with all the tough talk, if he has anything, I think he's going to call almost any bet on, on the flop. You sure. can't just give up for one bet on the flop, even if that bet's a really big one like the one I made. Yeah. And I think some players might even check in that spot because they're like, oh, my God, I flopped the nuts. I have to trick him. And I think that's a big right, mistake right. because you give all the draws just a free card. Like you can't you, you can't yell I'm John Cena and then go hide under a folding chair when the other steps <laughs> yeah. yeah things just don't work that way um, but yeah obviously I have tons of hands I mean if you guys want to do a part two or something I, I mean I've just I've recorded all my hands what I've done for many many years is I have a voice recorder I used to have a separate device as a voice recorder but now of course cell phones it's easy to get a voice recorder on your cell phone. Yeah. And on every single break, I check my mindset. I talk to myself into a voice recorder and I, I, I record the details of the important hands I played in the last two hours. I do. The same um, so I have like six days of that uh, recorded on my phone. The only exceptions were when instead of talking to my cell phone outside, I, I had to talk to the TV crews. They, they did quite a few interviews with me, which was really fun um, to talk about the hands. I played with Joe Stapleton um, for ESPN and, and for Poker Go. Uh, all the things that I wanted to happen three years ago and didn't happen this time. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Uh, I feel like I got a second crack at it, and uh, I don't think I don't feel like I blew it. Good, good. Yeah, it, that's so awesome, dude. I was so happy for you, and it couldn't have happened to a better guy. Um, oh, thanks. And, and my mom and I had a good time partying it up that night. You know, we went back to Gus Hansen's hotel room and, uh, <laughs> right on. no, Gus. not quite, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was great. Um, you know, that's a good idea. I, I can't do it right now. We kind of got to wrap it up. Uh, but uh, maybe we should do, um, if you're available. Strategy, strategy only one. That's what I was thinking. If you're, Just if you're willing for that, yeah. You know what I mean? From the WSOP. Yeah, I think I'll, that'd be an awesome episode. I'm happy to do it. I think it would be fun to, to talk to you guys about some of the hands. There were a lot of interesting spots. And I think maybe for some of your listeners that are used to playing online or um, reading sort of mathematical, theoretical approaches to poker, yeah, um, kind of hearing my rationale for some of my decisions, whether they agree with my rationale or not, I feel like thinking about the psychology of the game a lot is uh, something to maybe add to Arsenal if you already have kind of a strong mathematical um, GTO foundation for your game, kind of figuring out when to step outside of GTO and and play the player rather than the math and the cards. Sure. Yeah. Obviously, if you can do both, you'd be the best in the world. And I'm always working on both. I tried to do a good combination of both. And it, it led to me uh, with a little luck getting 28th place in the biggest tournament in the world. So I'm really happy right now, guys. I really am. Good. Awesome. Awesome. Let's do that. If, uh, if you're down uh, uh, to record uh, next week, uh, Clayton, then love to have you. Sure. We'll, do, yeah, we'll, let's, we'll let's go through up. your hands one by one, see how many we can tackle. Yeah, Good luck with the commentary, too, man. Don't fuck it up. I, I could see if I had this opportunity fucking the, like the very first, like within five minutes, like, Jesus, check out the tits on the woman in the two seat. <laughs> <laughs> 
and then like some the poker go go just just waving me off like right. No, 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 yeah, hold on, hold on. Off the mic. Yeah. That was a mistake. Yeah. You'll never work in this town again, Mike. Yeah, pretty much. So I'm, I, you're, you're you're too you're too smart for that. So. <laughs> well, let's hope so. <laughs> Right on. <laughs> Wait, there's a, there's Anna Kate on the rail. Ooh, what's she wearing tonight? You know, no, yeah, she's just I'm a 20th well, century man, and the the 21st century is just fucking putting a boot up my ass here. But anyway, that's do? my that's my friend you're talking about. Watch. I know, I know, sure. <laughs> my cool. incredibly Clayton's beautiful very Clayton's very cagey. Anna and Jamie, he's friends with all the all the beautiful women of poker here. I got <laughs> Yeah, right on. Well, thank you for coming on, Clayton. Uh, you guys can check him out at Clayton Comic on Twitter. Uh, if you uh, want to watch his recent um, uh, commentary, uh, that was with uh, Poker Center, right, Clayton? It's twitch.tv slash Poker Central. Poker Central, yes. It, uh, and I'm if you're a poker it. fan, you don't actually have to search him out because we're going to fucking get inundated with this shithead now for the next few months, probably everywhere, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I intend to saturate the market until every single poker player is absolutely sick of me. Right. <laughs> and then you start over. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, thank you for tuning in. And here is your weekly motivational speech. I don't accept that I am what I am and that that is what I'm doomed to be. No, I don't accept that. I'm fighting. I'm always fighting. I'm struggling and I'm scrapping. And I'm kicking and clawing at those weaknesses to change them, to stop them. Some days I win. Some days I don't, but each and every day I get back up and I move forward with my fists clenched toward the battle, toward the struggle. And I fight with everything I've got to overcome those weaknesses and those shortfalls and those flaws. As I strive to be just a little bit better today than I was yesterday. There's no longer any room for excuses. Excuses are tools of the incompetent used to build bridges to nowhere and monuments of nothingness. Well, we've got no time for excuses. Nobody is going to give you anything that you have not earned. Nobody cares how tough your upbringing was. Nobody cares if you suffered some discrimination. I'm so grateful that the slaves didn't drop and quit. Say, I'm just going to stop. I'm a slave. I'm just going to be a slave. I'm going to quit. The slaves said, we're going to act like we're free, and one day our children will be free. If the slaves would have just said, we quit, we give up, we would have died in the middle passage. But some slaves said, I don't care what we go through. We're going to survive this. You have to remember that whatever you've gone through, it pales in comparison to the hardships previous generations endured and they overcame them and if they overcame them you can overcome them too you don't know what you've got until all hell breaks loose you don't know what you can take until the pressure is applied to your life you don't know what you can endure until you've been under fire and under struggle and under tribulation. You can't learn what's in you sitting back in a lazy boy chair hitting the remote control watching HBO and Cinemax. But when all hell breaks loose, 
that's when you get to see what you got. I didn't get to see the design. I didn't get to see the architectural plans, but I know I'm made of some good stuff. I can tell by the burdens I bear and the load I carry and the stuff I endure. It's not just that I shot my enemies, I shot myself. They said I was gonna die, but through hell and high water, I'm still here. <laughs> 